Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Glad you are with us. A lot going on in our world, and one of the things that I talk about a lot on this program is the concern about moral clarity. It seems to be lost. And I think so many of us, particularly as we have watched the past few days, and we've seen and heard some people in positions of power, sometimes students, and others, we're seeing at least behavior, comments, that indicate that some of these folks are really lost. They are terribly lost. There are things that are just very, very clear and don't require clarification, explanation. There are moments for us to recognize evil for what it is. Fortunately, most sane people seem to be at a place where, yeah, they're saying we get it. At the same time, there are people who clearly do not get it. So at this time, I think it's really important and encouraging to highlight the people who not only get it, but they're doing something about it. I've mentioned this a number of times this week, in the past few days, really, how important it is not just to communicate words, You know, many times words of condemnation, you know, that really doesn't do a whole lot. But action, stepping up to the plate to say, you know what, okay, as a result of this behavior, these actions, this is the consequence. This is what I'm going to do. And I want to give you some fresh examples of this that I really believe frankly, will bring most of us together. There are people in this country who I think morally and spiritually are just so completely lost. There's there's probably not much hope in them getting it. It's not going to happen. Encouraged by a story in the Hill. (laughs) Interestingly enough, I have a friend who just started working at University of Pennsylvania. I won't say where, what department. Here's the good news. The headline, UPenn loses big donor, board member resigns, citing anti-Semitism. University of Pennsylvania has lost a major donor and a board member to allegations of anti-Semitism exacerbated by the school's response to the Israel-Hamas war. Former U.S. ambassador and longtime UPenn donor John Huntsman, I'm sure you remember that name, he announced after a University Board of Trustees meeting his family is cutting off funding. Good for him. In a letter obtained by the Daily Pennsylvanian to UPenn President Liz McGill, he said the university's silence in the face of reprehensible and historic Hamas evil against the people of Israel, when the only response should be outright condemnation, is a new low. Silence is anti-Semitism. And anti-Semitism is hate. The very thing higher ed was built to obviate. Consequently, Huntsman Foundation will close its checkbook on all future giving to Penn, something that's been a source of enormous pride for now three generations of graduates. My siblings join me in this rebuke. Wow. Think about this, folks. We're not talking about a few years. We're not talking about three years. We're talking about three generations of graduates. They're pulling the plug financially. A number of universities across the country face Internal tensions over how student groups and administrators are responding to the outbreak of violence in the Middle East. Even before the Hamas attack in Israel, UPenn faced blowback from a Palestine rights literature festival last month that included speakers with a history of anti-Semitic statements. Now UPenn puts out a flimsy statement. We unequivocally and emphatically condemn anti-Semitism as antithetical to our institutional values. 
The statement did not quell the critics who say the school has not done enough to disassociate itself from the event or condemn the recent attack on Israel by Hamas. One trustee resigned from UPenn's Board of Trustees after the three-hour emergency meeting. Just as at so many other elite academic institutions, the Penn community has been failed by an embrace of anti-Semitism, a failure to stand for justice, and complete negligence in the defense of our students' well-being. That was in the resignation, the resignation letter of Vahan Gurigan. McGill released a statement on Sunday, condemning Hamas's attack and addressing the situation with the festival back in September. Kind of a day late, dollar short. The university did not and emphatically does not endorse these speakers or their views. While we did communicate, we should have moved faster to share our position strongly and broadly with the Penn community. Yeah. Of course you're going to say that now. It hurts to have money pulled. One of the other gratifying things, I think I've mentioned on this program, the support of Hamas by BLM. Yes, the so-called Black Lives Matter movement, which I've told you is a fraud. I was walking somewhere publicly the other day, and I saw someone with a BLM t-shirt. Let me just say parenthetically, we've got all of these people out there who are preaching tolerance and you have all of these companies that are out there talking about how we need to be sensitive to people and their values and their ideas. Let me just tell you something. I find BLM, the promotion of BLM, people wearing BLM t-shirts, posting it on their social media, I find that to be offensive and I find that to be condescending. How many corporations are now going to stand up and defend people like me? Do I go into a victim group now? Of course not. I don't want to be in one. But this shows the hypocrisy of all of this nonsense. But I have to commend one more person. Yitish Titi Ana, the first Ethiopian to win Miss Israel in 2013. She has denounced the leftist organization BLM, Black Lives Matter, for expressing Palestinian support after the terrorist organization Hamas carried out a bloody massacre. They claimed over 1,400 Israeli lives, most of those folks civilians. I don't want to rush this, so I'm going to save this for after the break. I just want you to hear what she has to say. See, remember I said at the beginning of this broadcast, I rejoice at this time of clarity. It's horrible what happened. It's horrible what happened in Israel. If there's one silver lining in this, it, we are now seeing the hearts of people. It's revealing the hearts of people. And I think there's an extraordinary unity among the universe of sane people from different political backgrounds. We have the potential to be profoundly unified around this idea of basic human rights, not silly invented human rights, special rights, but human rights, the right to live. You will hear the very wise words from this former Miss Israel and much more as we continue the broadcast more more words of clarity and sanity. Don't we need those at a time like this? As we continue the Vince Coakley radio program, we also have Transformation Tuesday today. All right, you know what it is. All you have to do is step outside and know it is indeed fall it is here with a vengeance it's downright chilly out there as i discovered out walking the dog well fall's here 
Time for WBT's Talktoberfest 2023. Join us every Monday and Wednesday night in Talktober for a live interactive conversation with the WBT team on our Facebook live feed. What we talk about, well, that's up to you. So just plan to ask any questions you might have. Grab a pint of whatever you would like to drink. Join us 7 o'clock every Monday and Wednesday. Talktoberfest 2023 presented by Dry Otter Waterproofing. For the break, I set up for you Something you're going to hear posted on social media by Yadish T.T. Aina, who became the first Ethiopian to win Miss Israel back in 2013. See, I'm gratified by this. You may, those of you listen with regularity, in fact, I'm reminding myself now, I need to reach out to this friend of mine. I really want to have in this program, just talk with him. Just a regular guy. We're going to rear end off like all the rest of us. But I told you I had an extraordinary conversation with him several weeks ago. And he was talking about how these lights have come on for him on so many areas in the last few years. Like the BLM thing. He figured this out. Like these people are full of crap. Yes, I need to tell you, my friend is in deep black. These figure out so many things. I think you'd be quite intrigued to hear what he had to say. But more and more people are recognizing this organization has nothing to do with the well-being of black people. They're a radical Marxist organization that is in sync with a group like Hamas. That should not be a surprise at all. Here is Yadish Titi Ena, former Miss Israel from back in 2013, pretty much denouncing BLM for expressing support for the Palestinian organizations, Hamas, after the bloody massacre that occurred some days ago. Listen up. I can't breathe. Do you remember that? I'm shocked, so shocked, by the response of Black Lives Matters regarding the terror attack situation here in Israel. Remember you screaming in the street. I can breathe. I can breathe. So I want to inform you that right now there is Israeli hostages in Gaza. Babies, children, mothers, women, entire family who cannot breathe. They were kidnapped, raped by the terror organization Hamas. Do you think killing is enough for them? They attack people at the party near to the Gaza Strip. They kidnap women. They kidnap girls who have not started their life yet. They rape them, slaughtering their soul. Hamas is ISIS. Pray for us. Pray for Israel. Because we can breathe. Wow. Remember all this silliness, you know, going around talking about we can't breathe, I can't breathe. And yes, this whole George Floyd thing just kind of took on a life of its own. But at the end of the day, it's very clear that only certain lives matter. Only certain lives matter. So I commend yet another person who has come out and said what needs to be said. We'll come back to more of this in a bit. I want to tell you about breaking news unfolding now in a New York courtroom. As you know, there is a civil case going on involving Donald Trump and his businesses. New York Post reporting just a few minutes ago, outside the courtroom, Donald Trump spoke during a roughly five-minute rant to reporters, saying, this is a rigged trial. This is a rigged situation. We're being railroaded and being railroaded in other trials. Former president who faces four unrelated criminal cases entered the ceremonial courtroom inside Manhattan Supreme Court wearing a dark blue suit and a red tie for taking a seat at the defense table. Trump, flanked by his two lawyers, frowned at New York Attorney General Letitia James 
as he strolled past her sitting in the gallery. Eric Trump also accompanied his father to trial and sat in the first row on the opposite side as the AG as this court case, civil case, continues in New York. So I'm very thrilled by clarity. People figuring out that Hamas is evil. I mean, this has not changed. They've always been evil. What's really cool, again, is to see that this is not a political issue. It really isn't. It's not a Democrat-Republican issue. Now, crazy leftists are in lockstep with these folks. One person who continues to surprise me in a pleasant way is Bill Maher. The guy's a Democrat. The guy's still a leftist. But he's figured this one out. Before we listen to some of the other comments from his program this weekend, I want you to hear his very basic reaction to what happened with the massacre. Listen up. Mostly what I saw this week was, one, a shocking amount of support, like even at the moment of the rampage or right after when they're still counting the bodies. That was shocking to me. Uh, but even at its best, I feel, feel like most of the people who you would read in the media, the, the attitude is sort of like, well, you know, this is very complicated. I don't really study it. I don't really know the facts. So I'm just going to go with a kind of they're both guilty equally and a moral equivalency, which I would like to take issue with tonight. I think the Israelis have always had the moral high ground, and I think they still do. Wow. This is kind of a radical declaration by somebody on the left. They have the moral high ground. They've had it, and they still do. We're going to hear more comments from this program, including some very interesting references to the values. The values that people seem to be embracing by their support of Hamas. This is really good stuff. And again, not from some right-wing extremist. This is from Bill Maher, a leftist. You're going to hear that much more as we continue. Haven't I said to you a number of times on this broadcast, there is probably a greater consensus among Americans than we realize. It's extraordinary. An extraordinary consensus. It's there. The question is, do we have the leadership to harvest that and to bring people together? Or will we just continue to listen to the loudmouth, obnoxious people who continue to divide a good part of the time over stupid stuff or over themselves? But I digress. I want you to hear from one James Kerchick, who you're going to hear from a little bit later, who has kind of a humorous remark to share with you. But he very bluntly shares how this thing can come to an end. This is not complicated stuff. And I think most of us know what you're about ready to hear. It's basic common sense. James Kirchig is his name. He is a columnist for Tablet Magazine. How do we end this violence in the Middle East? Well, James Kirchick can tell you how to do it. Here it is. I see these queers for Palestine. Did you hear their sister organization? And uh, we're going to save that one for a little bit later on. Uh, Do you have the uh, how to end it one? Maybe did not arrive for some reason. Um, But uh, it's kind of clarity. I think everybody has. And certainly if you didn't know before... um, A week ago Saturday, you certainly know now. There is no reason at all, you know, not to understand this. Uh, We're going to regroup and try to find this. But I want you to hear, uh, this is really important. One of the things that Bill Maher, and, and this is kind of interesting, again, because who's Bill Maher? He's a leftist. And yet, he has a tremendous amount of clarity on this subject as it relates to values. Now, this is where 
you know, frankly, we've got a lot of people out there who are, they're frankly confused. I feel really bad because they, for a variety of reasons, you know, uh, much of this starts at home. And a lot of people, unfortunately, have not been taught well. And then you've got folks who've left home and they have come to a place now where their <laughs> their brains have simply been washed. I mean, that's really what's happened here. And they now have value systems totally at odds with you. The things that you've taught them. They've been reprogrammed. I don't know how many parents I've talked to where they've experienced this. Bill Maher talks about the values that he's challenging people. You know, and really asking the question, do you really embrace these values that are in sync with Hamas? Here is what he had to say. I just want to finish with the values first, because it's just amazing to me that the American left, so much of it, throws their lot in with people whose values, I I hope they don't share, but let's go through them. Because values and customs make a difference, okay? And the people of Gaza, by the way, if the Israelis did get rid of Hamas, they'd be doing a giant favor to the people of Gaza who hate Hamas too. But uh, let's just go through the lists. Because Israelis look like us in most ways, values-wise. Maybe we're not doing it the right way. I don't know. Religious tolerance. That doesn't exist in Gaza. You're either Muslim or an infidel, and you better be a Muslim. Female freedom. Free and fair elections. Free speech. Gay rights. Pedophilia. I'll put that under don't ask. Child brides and so forth. Equality of the sexes. I'll categorize that under don't make me laugh. The, the fact that, you know, these people think that this is where they should be aligned with that these are the values that you support that's the question seeing a lot of these young kids they have no idea they have no idea whatsoever we're going to give you an example of this uh piece of audio you're going to hear a little bit later but first it's going to come from james kurchik who you you're here from a little bit later on but he talks about and we now have that clip ready How do we end all of this violence in this part of the world? It's really very simple. Here's James Kerchick. This conflict right now could end right this second if Hamas were to put down its weapons and surrender unconditionally. I know, it would never happen. But that's that's the reality. And this has always been the the reality of this conflict. If the the Arabs were to put down their weapons, and this goes back to the 1930s, before the creation of the State of Israel, if the Arabs put down their weapons, there would be peace. If the Jews put down their weapons, there'd be no more Jews in the Middle East. Wow. He clearly understands this. Clearly understands this. Hamas puts down its weapons, there's peace. Israel puts down its weapons. No more Jews. It really is that simple. Coming up, we'll talk about the latest headlines in the ongoing developing story in the Middle East. An admission from an intelligence chief about the blunders that led to this horrible massacre. The United States of America. How much are we getting involved in this? A report about U.S. troops. What are we up to exactly? PBS of all networks, after hearing from our own feeble-minded president that Iran had nothing to do with this, PBS has a very different version. We will also tell you about an important deadline that happens tomorrow. Pay attention to this deadline. It's very important. And... A little bit of a humorous take on the people who have bought into the pro-Palestine propaganda. You are going to get a kick out of this. It's really good stuff. That much more as we continue our Tuesday broadcast. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program over on social media. Jabril writes in, I'm surprised you would resort to highlighting Bill Maher. 
This guy's made a career of ridiculing God, any religious people, including Christians. He does the work of the devil. Be careful what you take from him, even if it sounds good at the time. Yes, I I recognize. I'm not going to agree with everybody. There are certain people that I'm very, very pleased to see that there are lights coming on in certain areas. But I am, believe me, I am not under the delusion that this guy has been born again and his lights are completely on. And he's embracing God and embracing truth and the gospel and all the, far from it. You know, the things I've heard, I remember years ago, I don't, I haven't heard anything recently. He said some pretty outrageous things. I'm glad, at least on some things, he's got his head together. So that is an important clarification. And I appreciate you writing in Jabril. Here's what's going on across the board. By the way, I think Fox is just reporting that universities have lost about $487 million from donors just in the past few days over this issue of support for Hamas. That's a lot of money. But I still think, based on the money that is flowing to this broken, corrupt system, it's still a drop in the bucket. Compared with the stuff, the amount of money that flows, especially from the federal government. But it's still a lot of money. Drudge Israel headlines. Iran warns of preemptive action. Wow. I think we shared this yesterday. UN warning. We're on the verge of an abyss. We now have a video released of one of the hostages. I do not want to participate in the circus taking place there. I do know the family member has appealed for this person's release. Um, Also, Hamas is saying they will release these hostages at the appropriate time, whenever that is. Mideast totters on brink of wider wars. Iran ponders its options. Guards. Commander threatens another shockwave. Biden to meet Abbas. Egypt, Sisi, and Jordan. King in Amman. Top U.S. general makes surprise visit to Israel. America deploys thousands of sailors and Marines. We'll talk about that in a bit. BB blinks. Why has Gaza ground invasion been delayed? What's the reason behind that? Troops warned of booby traps and ambushes. With dreadlocks, hipster beards, reservists called war. Putin in China to meet dear friend Z. Yes, they are very much in lockstep with one another. I'm very glad to see Reuters reporting the head of Israel's Shinbet Domestic Intelligence Agency has taken responsibility for failing to prevent Hamas from carrying out its deadly rampage through Israeli towns. The director, Ronan Barr, said in a statement, despite a series of actions we carried out, unfortunately on Saturday, we were unable to generate sufficient warning that would allow the attack to be thwarted. As the one who heads the organization, the responsibility for this is on me. There will be time for investigations. Now we fight. I have the highest respect for this man. Coming forward to say, you know, we screwed up. This requires a great deal of humility. No obfuscating here. No weasel words. Didn't get it done. Breitbart reporting the Pentagon has not denied a report that said roughly 2,000 U.S. troops were told to be prepared to deploy if needed to assist Israel in its war against Hamas. Hmm. Deputy Press Secretary Sabrina Singh, when asked about the report during a press gaggle, said, I don't have more to provide at this time. I might be able to give you more details later, but this time I just don't have anything more specific to add. The report by the Wall Street Journal outlined roughly 2,000 troops have been told to prepare for potential deployment to support Israel. Those troops would include those already 
currently stationed in the Middle East and Europe, of which there are tens of thousands. The report said it is unclear how many would go into Israel. Officials told the Wall Street Journal the troops are tasked with missions like advising and medical support. No specific types of troops were specified, only that they are from across the U.S. Armed Services. According to the report, they aren't intended to serve in a combat role. No infantry have been put on prepare-to-deploy order. The Israeli Defense Force spokesman, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Karikas, you heard him yesterday, said Israel would not request for U.S. soldiers to fight in Israel. The fighting will be done, he says, by the IDF. I'm very glad to hear that, but you should know 2,000 U.S. troops could find themselves in some way, in harm's way. And again, this is not a right-wing news source, ladies and gentlemen. PBS reporting. Israeli soldiers located Iranian-made mortar rounds in villages attacked by Hamas terrorists. These are the first material evidence Iran is directly supplying weaponry to Hamas. The reporter for PBS said having beaten back hundreds of Hamas fighters after a long, brutal fight on the border with Gaza, as Israeli soldiers carried out the grim job of clearing victims' homes, they found a new source of terror. In the villages that were attacked by Hamas, the Israeli Defense Forces found a huge cache of weaponry, thousands of pieces, and they suspect that Hamas planned a much longer fight. Scattered amidst the carnage, hand grenades, anti-tank mines, artillery rounds, North Korean manufactured rocket-propelled grenades, improvised rocket launchers, and finally, Iranian-made mortar rounds, the first material evidence Iran is directly supplying weaponry to Hamas in this fight. She then played a clip of an IDF soldier saying, This is made in Iran, no doubt about it. We knew they had those. We knew they had mortars. But these Iranian mortars, this is the first time we've seen it in this battle. No matter what you hear, including from this administration, do not buy into the lie that Iran is not involved in this. They are knee-deep in this. In fact, they are eyeball-deep in this. Still to come, we're going to tell you about a very important deadline that expires tomorrow. And one of the ironies of this entire group of people supporting Palestine, well, there's a particular group that would find themselves, let's just say, under the gun if they were ever caught in Palestine. We'll tell you who they are and some humorous reactions to this. We also have... Transformation Tuesday, straight on the other side. Save with us. Hour number two of the Vince Coakley radio program, as we mentioned, still to come on the broadcast, an important deadline. Tomorrow, we'll tell you what this is about. Also, a little bit of fun with one of the groups standing in lockstep with Hamas. This is crazy stuff. And a big vote could be happening today for Jim Jordan. Will he get the speaker's gavel? A very important question. Let's begin with Transformation Tuesday. This one for my good friend, Dr. Steve Crosby. And this may seem kind of counterintuitive based on your host. (laughs) Because I do take some very strong positions here. And this increasingly is a challenging place for me to be. Here is why I say that. Because for the believer, there is something that we are called to that ought to be transcendent. That we don't get buried in the muck and mire of this world. I I think this is very important on some level that we maintain our independence from the system. Doesn't mean we can't have views and positions, but we dare not forget what we are primarily here for. 
it's kind of interesting to me, and maybe someday you'll hear more about this. I have a friend who, every time he sees me, he calls me Mr. Ambassador. And it's really intriguing to me. I'm not an ambassador. I don't have that official job anywhere. And yet, I think one of the things that hit me some days ago, I felt like the Spirit of God spoke to me. That even though this person doesn't know very much about me at all, this was the Spirit of God speaking to me and reminding me, this is who you are. You're mine. Whatever you're doing, you dare not forget. You're primarily my representative. And, you know, some people may bristle when you hear me say this. But this means not primarily being American or black or any other labels that we might want to put on ourselves. Those aren't the primary things. If you are a believer, your primary citizenship is in heaven. And when we get this entangled with other stuff, this is why I don't like Christian modifiers. Well, I'm a, you know, I don't even like to say Christian conservative anymore for that reason. There are certain things that just, it's really important that we at least work on this area of transcendent living. Let me just share Steve Crosby's post. The Christian community is supposed to be the vanguard and presence of the new creation. This is not a modification of the old creation. This is not about us being better people, about us being new and improved. This is about a new creation. Steve goes on, seems to me it's entangled, enmeshed, and in bed with the same fallen powers of this world as everybody else and has been for millennia. Love of violence, love of money, love of power, prestige, and status. Relational alienation, schism, political lies and machinations, nationalism, empire and on and on and on that's why as an entity christianity has no testimony in the earth and is justly despised and ridiculed by thinking non-believers christianity is dead even though there are many funeral homes carefully tending its corpse boy where (laughs) isn't this interesting (laughs) who actually has a phrase similar to this I do. (laughs) It's kind of scary. Now you understand why Steve Crosby and I connect so well. However, Jesus' testimony is imperishable. You may have to look for it in a stable, a small garden, a cross, or a tomb, but it's there to be found and to give life. The rest, well, some chickens are coming home to roost in our day, and more are coming. This is your spiritual steward speaking. Please fasten your seatbelts. The captain is advised we will be experiencing some severe turbulence. (laughs) And boy, isn't that the truth. I think part of what God is doing with us believers in the midst of shaking things up, it is to shake some of our connections to this stuff loose so we are not finding our primary identity in these things I think of that one scripture is that in Timothy where he says a person who's a soldier does not get himself entangled in the affairs of this life which means that we avoid things that stand in the way of our primary mission and our primary mission is to be representatives of him this is mainly about two important connections our connection with him and helping others find that connection with him as well 
That's the primary thing. So we lose sight of that and all of these lesser things. See, this is where I've, and and I'm just saying, and I, I hope I'm going in the right direction in this. I've watched so many of my ostensibly Christian friends go over the edge and they are obsessed with this desire to bring America back to God or whatever. And, and can I just tell you, as horrible as it sounds to proclaim this, I don't believe that's going to happen. And one of the reasons why it probably can't happen in the way that many are thinking, how can we bring people to God when we have lost our way, when we are inundated with so much of the world? What do we have? This is the question Jesus asked about the salt losing its savor. Because I do believe we have lost the savor. And our desire to be included, to be at the table, whatever it is, we have sold our true birthright for a bowl of soup. And frankly, it's a bowl of crap. It really is. Nonetheless, that's Transformation Tuesday. Still to come the broadcast. Important deadline coming up tomorrow. What does this mean? Also, we'll have a little bit of fun with some of the folks who are protesting on behalf, allegedly, of Palestine. We will show you how foolish that is. We're back at the Vince Coakley Radio Program, and we have a major update going on right now. Apparently, there is a Senate effort underway to make sure that the Iranians do not get their hands on those billions of dollars worked out in this deal. Remember, this has been part of a discussion for quite some time. If I see correctly, I believe Senator John Thune is speaking now. Uh, let's hear what he has to say about this. $6 billion that was going to be made available uh, to Iran. And I hope that uh, our colleagues on both sides of the aisle will step up and, and do the right thing and send a clear and unequivocal message, not only of support for Israel, but that we as a nation will stand up to uh, the world's largest state sponsor of terror, and that is Iran. So thank you, Marcia, for your leadership. James. Blackburn, who is apparently spearheading this effort. I was in Jerusalem meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu. He's probably the last senator to have met with the Prime Minister prior to the attacks of October 7th from Hamas. While I was on that visit, I went up to the border with Lebanon to see the Hezbollah terror tunnels. Many of us saw the Hamas terror tunnels in Gaza over the years, but the Hezbollah terror tunnels were dug over the course of several years inside those tunnels, spray-painted on our way to Jerusalem. They've been planning an attack for many, many years. The Israelis discovered them and stopped it. But when I met with Prime Minister Netanyahu, the most important topic we discussed, the first topic we discussed was Iran. It was Iran's backing of Hamas and of Hezbollah. And you can't make this up. Shortly after I returned to see President Biden releasing $6 billion to the Iranians. It's unconscionable the United States could be used in a war against our most important ally, and that's Israel. Let's not forget in 1979, when Iran fell during the revolution, the first Ayatollah came out and identified the United States as the great Satan and Israel as the little Satan. That wasn't just discussed back in 1979. Just do a search and see the most recent posts. You will see the United States called out today by the Iranians as the great Satan and Israel as the little Satan. We need to stand with Israel, stop appeasing Iran. This is a moment of moral clarity that is badly needed by our country. We need this from President Biden to understand clearly who the true friends are 
and who the enemies are. And Biden's ransom payment made the Iranians shows you where his true colors are, and that's facilitating and enabling Iran to continue to be the leading sponsor of terrorism in the world. Again, senators, Republican senators, speaking out, calling for basically uh, pulling the plug on this entire deal to allow these funds to be made made available to the Iranians at all. Um, I would suggest this has to go much broader to not allowing Iranian oil sales because we're talking about tens of billions of dollars that they have poured into terrorism in recent years. This is a very serious issue. Now, whether there will be cooperation on this from Democrats, that's another matter, because it's very unlikely they will want to in any way undermine President Joe Biden on this issue. I need to tell you about a very important deadline. Very important deadline. United Nations prohibitions that seek to constrain Iran's missile and drone activity are set to expire, guess when? Tomorrow, October 18th. If they do, no snapback of sanctions is initiated by the nation still party of the 2015 nuclear deal and its companion, UN Security Council Resolution 2231. Iran would be free to sell its ballistic missiles and related long-range strike technologies to its anti-Western partners and clients. Boy, isn't this an interesting and timely development. This deal expires tomorrow. Iran's partners, like Russia, would likely use the missiles to facilitate its invasion of Ukraine, while proxies like Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, and the Houthis may get fresh access to ballistic missile technology. Iran's profits from missile sales could also go toward funding its numerous terrorist proxies. One expert saying lapsing U.N. penalties on Iran's ballistic missile tests, transfers and other activities will be yet another sign of the international community's irresolution to say and do the right thing on Iran. It will therefore embolden Iran to double down on its terror proxies and arms proliferation. The more confident Tehran feels, the more lethal the threat. This sense chills down my spine. I don't know about you. Do you have confidence this administration is going to do anything about this? I don't. Let's talk more about ignorance. I want to take you to an article, just a little bit of an article. This is an article from January 28th, 2009. You see, there are a lot of people who really benefit from doing some reading. Rather than spending time protesting and watching TikTok videos, read this article in The Advocate. This is not a right-wing publication by any means. You heard James Kerchick earlier. Well, you need to hear him now. We're going to get to him in a bit. But first, of all the slogans chanted and displayed at anti-Israel rallies over the past month, again, this is January 2009, surely Queers for Palestine ranks as the most oxymoronic. Of all the slogans chanted and displayed and anti-Israel rallies over the past month. It's the motto of the San Francisco-based Queers Undermining Israeli Terrorism, or QUIT, a group advocating financial divestment from the Jewish state. QUIT contends Zionism is racism, regularly demonstrates at gay pride marches, organizes with far-right Muslim organizations, and successfully lobbied the International Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission to boycott the 2006 World Pride Conference due to its location that year in Jerusalem. So what makes quit oxymoronic? Their affinity for Palestine isn't reciprocated. There may be queers for Palestine, but Palestine certainly isn't for queers, either in the livable or empathetic sense. Like all Islamic polities, 
The Palestinian Authority systematically harasses gay people under the cloak of rooting out Israeli collaborators. PA officials extort, imprison, and torture gays. But Palestinian oppression of homosexuality isn't merely a matter of state policy. It's one firmly rooted in Palestinian society, where hatred of gays surpasses even that of Jews. And again, this is 2009. Last October, a gay Palestinian man with an Israeli lover petitioned Israel's High Court of Justice for asylum, claiming his family threatened to kill him if he did not reform. One of the few lucky Palestinians to be able to challenge his plight. We've got more wonderful stories on this. <laughs> and again, I remind you, if some of these folks would just do a little reading, they, they might be able to get a clue. We'll share more of this article and a very humorous response to this group recently. I hope we're all getting an education here. I'm taking you back to a piece written this piece was written in the advocate January 28th 2009 folks this is not new what is so sad is people do not learn at all from history they really don't it's so disturbing I want to continue this piece because it's really disturbing. He talked about some of the horrible things that happened to gays in Palestine. That's only in the relatively benign West Bank, the Gaza Strip, which has stagnated under the heels of Hamas's Islamo-fascist rule since 2007 is an even more dangerous place for gays, a minority for, of perverts and the mentally and morally sick, in the words of a senior Hamas leader. As in Iran, Hamas's patron and the chief sponsor of international terrorism, even the mere suspicion of homosexuality will get one killed in Gaza, being hurled from the roof of a tall building, the method of choice. It's these facts that make the notion of queers for Palestine so bizarre. Contrary to what some gay activists might have you believe, there really are not that many political subjects where one's sexuality ought influence an opinion. Aside from the obvious issues related to civic equality, recognition of partnerships, open service to the military, etc., how does homosexuality imply a particular viewpoint on complicated matters like social security, reform, health care policy, or the war in Iraq? The answer, at least for some of those on the left side of the spectrum, is one found in the early rhetoric of the Gay Liberation Front, the leading gay rights organization to emerge after the Stonewall riots. The GLF was, in the words of historian Paul Berman, the gay wing of the Revolutionary Alliance that in the 70s challenged the liberal consensus and came to be known as the New Left. Hmm. GLF leaders played an instrumental role in the creation of a brigade which dispatched starry-eyed American radicals to pick sugarcane in Cuba as a show of solidarity with the regime of Fidel Castro. Like the Palestinian Authority, Communist Cuba didn't exactly return the kindness of its gay sympathizers. For decades, it interned gays and HIV-positive individuals in prison labor camps. The GLF allied itself with a whole host of radical organizations like the murderous Black Panthers, whose role in the struggle for gay equality was tenuous at best. And the very name of the GLF was adopted from the National Liberation Front, the moniker of the Vietnamese Communists. You see a pattern here, folks? Why does this history matter now? Although you'll find few out-and-out -out Marxists in the leadership of gay organizations today, most gay activists still view the world with the same sort of oppression complex. Remember I talked about this yesterday. Epitomized by the early radicals who led the GLF. They believe gay people to be oppressed and hold that any other group claiming the same victim status should earn the support of gays. Do you see how these folks think? It's very simplistic, childish thinking. We're all victims, so let's all come together. Let's bring the blacks together, the Palestinians together, the women together.
is how these folks think. It's really that simple. It's for this reason every major gay organization was so hesitant to talk about the overwhelming support among African Americans to ban gay marriage in California, and why the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force went so far as to commission a bogus study, ostensibly refuting that disturbing statistic itself and the estimation of the gay rights establishment, African Americans, like gays, are oppressed. There's no room for enemies on the left. But gays will never get anywhere as long as they view the world in this constrictive and counterproductive way. Indeed, if one wanted to construe a gay position on the Arab-Israeli conflict, that is, examine the issue purely through the prism of the welfare of gay people, the inescapable stance is nothing less than partiality for Israel. Israel, after all, is the only state in the Middle East that legally enshrines the rights of gay people. Gays serve openly in the military, occupy high-profile positions in business and public life, and Tel Aviv is an international gay mecca. As cliched as it may sound, Israel is an oasis of liberal tolerance in a reactionary religious backwater. And if gay people want to stand with the oppressed of the region, it is the Palestinians seeking a peaceful two-state solution, not the murderers of Hamas or their backers in Tehran who merit support. None of this is to say gay people are wrong for sympathizing with the downtrodden and genuinely oppressed. On the contrary, it's an admirable quality. But all too often, ideologues with ulterior motives and radical agendas pervert this worthy instinct. It's one thing to express concern about the humanitarian conditions in the Palestinian territories, but to stand alongside the enthusiasts of religious fascism isn't progressive. It's obscene. 2009, ladies and gentlemen. You want to keep something? You want to keep people from being empowered? Put it in a news article or a book. Most people will not read. I take you back to James Kirchick, who you heard on the Bill Maher program. And this conversation about the group that still doesn't get it. <clears throat> this was 2009. It's 2023 now. And here's James Kirchick commenting on Queers for Palestine in the conversation <laughs> on Bill Maher's program. I see these Queers for Palestine. Did you hear their sister batteries. organization, Blacks for the KKK? <laughs> <laughs> it's like... By the way, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a gay man. I've lived in Berlin. This is a level of masochism that even I cannot comprehend. Right. <laughs> I mean... Masochism. That's exactly what this is. I sent this to a friend of mine this morning because we were just discussing this yesterday. It's a picture at the top. Queers for Palestine. At the bottom. <laughs> chickens for KFC. <laughs> Do I make my point? On the Vince Coakley radio program. Man, there's so much, you know, I think to our Talktoberfest that we did last Monday. And one of the questions someone asked about show prep. What do Pete Callender and I do to prepare for our respective broadcasts? And one of the things I mentioned is I always have much more content than I ever get to. This is one of those days that there is... Um, so much. In fact, there are things from yesterday I really was intending to get to today and will not. I did want to tell you, we are hearing there could be a vote as early as noon today, which is just a few minutes from now, to determine whether Representative Jim Jordan will be able to claim the gavel of the Speaker of the U.S. House. I want you to hear the language from Reuters. I mean, these people, <sighs> I'm trying to restrain myself. Listen to this. Republican Jim Jordan will try to claim the gavel of the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives on Tuesday in a vote that could elevate the prominent and combative right-wing figure 
to one of the most powerful posts in Washington. Right wing. So we don't make references to the left wing senile old coot in the White House, do we? Since clinching his party's nomination on Friday, the Ohio lawmaker has spent days trying to bring the 55 fellow Republicans who voted against him into his corner. Ahead of today's noon vote to fill a leadership post that's been vacant for two weeks, grinding the House to a halt. Jordan said, I felt good walking into the conference. I feel even better now. His predecessor, Kevin McCarthy, the first speaker in U.S. history to be voted out of office, endured a grinding 15 votes over four days in January to win the job. Jordan will also have to undergo multiple votes if he cannot get a clear majority of 217 on the first round. At least seven Republicans, more than he can lose and still get elected, said they could oppose him. Others still undecided. So that's just minutes away. So stay tuned to this. We will see how this unfolds. Closer to home in the sprawling metropolis of Albemarle, WCNC reports on a vote over classification of drag shows has been moved to November. (laughs) On Monday, the Albemarle City Council was set to discuss the treatment of drag shows, considering reclassifying drag shows as a sexual oriented business or activity. They're also mentioning the fact it was a few months ago, two board members, the city's planning and zoning committee were caught using what I would call derogatory comments about homosexuals on a hot mic. They used the word that I do not believe in using because it is just lazy. These folks use this on a hot mic. Both city leaders resigned a few days after this incident. The idea here is possibly to classify drag shows as an adult cabaret. Adult cabaret includes people who appear nude or semi-nude, live performances with exposure to sexual activities, and videos that depict or describe sexual activities. By the way, there will not, as I understand this story, be a public hearing on this, but the issue has been deferred now to... November. So stay tuned for this one. (laughs) This is crazy. Uh, This is one I promised to get to. Corey posted on social media about G.K. Chesterton. One of the great thinkers of the 20th century. Listen to this quote. We shall soon be in a world in which a man may be howled down for saying that two and two make four, in which furious party cries will be raised against anybody who says that cows have horns, in which people will persecute the heresy of calling a triangle a three-sided figure, and hang a man for a maddening mob with the news that grass is green. Do you think we're in those times now? Uh, yes. You heard the story about what's happening at Clemson, where a group of Clemson University students protested the removal of tampon dispensers from the men's library bathrooms in response to a conservative student group's complaints, holding brightly colored signs reading, Destigmatize Menstruation, and hello, it's the 21st century. Fifty students actually demonstrated on campus last week to demand school administrators reinstall the feminine hygiene dispensers. I remind you again, this is the men's library bathroom. These folks have really lost their minds, and I don't mind saying again, this is pure mental illness. (sighs) The student group posted... On X, September 13th, if you weren't aware already, Clemson University has tampon pad dispensers in the men's restrooms located in the Cooper Library. We truly live in a clown world. Uh, yes, we do. Take Back Pride, who organized the protest, said the sanitary products were unjustly removed from the restrooms or asking them to be reinstalled 
as well as for the college Republicans to be reprimanded for their role in the removal. This effort failed, by the way. Doesn't the G.K. Chesterton comments ring true? Everything's been redefined. And we have this wonderful treat. President Joe Biden's Department of Health and Human Services is ordering its employees to defy biological reality by referring to transgender co-workers by their preferred pronouns. The HHS, which employs about 80,000 people in the United States and abroad, imposed its new gender identity and non-discrimination guidance late last week. It outlines employee rights and protections related to gender identity. All employees should be addressed by the names and pronouns they are to dis- they use to describe themselves. The HHS also posted a video to YouTube designated as unlisted in which HHS Secretary Andrea Palm says the policy allows colleagues to show up every day as their whole selves. I want to say clearly to every one of you, who you are and who you know yourself to be is valid. We want you to be your authentic self every day, regardless of your gender identity, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, religion, or disability status. While Palm did mention religion, neither the video nor the email disclosed if the HHS plans on accommodating or exempting employees with religious objections to affirming transgender delusions. (laughs) That's the key word, delusions. HHS Assistant Secretary for Health Admiral Rachel Levine, who describes himself as an out and proud transgender transgender woman in the video, said this policy ensures all HHS employees, including transgender and non-binary employees, have equal protections in the workplace, adding that all supervisors and managers are responsible for enforcing the policy. Your wonderful taxpayer dollars at work promoting pure nonsense. Our time's up. Have yourselves a great day. (laughs) Adios.